UX Podcast Episode 173. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Roy Lawson and Pat Axbom. We have listeners in 172 countries, from Spain to Slovakia. And today we are talking to our friend Alyssa Briggs. We first met Alyssa over six years ago, but we don't get to see her very often as she's based in San Francisco. Uh, she's today head of design at PlanGrid, an enterprise app for construction workers. Previously, she led design at Brigade and at Intuit, where she was working when we first talked to her in episode 79. Yeah, that was a f- couple of years ago now. Yeah. Um, but we caught up with Alyssa um, at Euro IR, where she gave a talk entitled Race to the Top, Building Skyscrapers and Design Teams That Soar, where she used the, the metaphor of how skyscrapers get built um, and then, then applies these uh, lessons to show how you can become a better design leader. Design leadership is hard. That was one of your, I think, one of your closing remarks mm-hmm. during your 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 talk. Um, and I, I think it is. Um, but you seem to have have, have um, done a pretty good job of, of of gathering together some tools and experience about building design teams. Share us a little bit of your knowledge and insights in, into how you go about doing that in a good way. Sure, yeah. So um, some of the things that I was sharing were really around um, how you approach thinking about the types of skills that you need on your team and then how you go about finding the right people for your team, bringing them on board. Um, also just thought a lot about how do you put together a strategy for your team. I think a lot of times when we talk about strategy, it sounds like this very high level thing. It's very vague. It sounds like a business buzzword, but the reality is having a strategy and a vision for your team is so important because it helps you figure out where do you want to go and then figure out what types of people you need to help you get there. And then of course, actually working together with that team to build towards your vision. I think that's something that I've really learned over time is, um, If you're a leader, that means you have to be leading a team, right? Mm. You need to be working with people. You can't do it alone. So, um, yeah, happy to go into any of those. So, so w- creating a vision then. So, like you said normally your vision would be outward, mm-hmm. as it, really kind of business related. Yeah. But in this case, it's 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 not really. Well, or is it? What is the vision for a design team? Yeah, you know that's a great question. So, I think there's actually a lot of different visions you might have. Um, one thing that I think is that we often don't do enough time, uh, spend enough time thinking about is what is the vision for our organization and mm. for our team. We talk a lot about how do you create the vision for your product, mm. and that I think is a separate thing. But the vision for your team is really where does everyone on your team want to go together? Mm. So, for example, um, with my team at PlanGrid, um, we spent a lot of time as a team going out and really understanding where does design currently fit in the organization, how is it perceived. And then we worked together. We, we actually had a vision workshop where we brainstormed as a team where are we at today and where do we want to go tomorrow. And so we actually um, did a two-hour brainstorm together, got a bunch of post-it notes, threw them on the wall, and really tried to imagine three years out, what is it going to look like to be on our team? What's it going to feel like? What are we going to hear our customers saying? What are we going to hear people in the organization saying? 
And um, that was really cool because once we were able to articulate what it would look like and feel like to be in our team in three years, that gave us a really clear idea of being able to then go and plan out, okay, if we want to get here where design is really empowered and uh, working well together with Mm -hmm. the other functions and uh, helping drive business success, then okay, if we kind of walk back in time, what are the different milestones that we'll need to hit to actually accomplish that goal? Excellent. I mean, this this ties in very much to the, the kind of coaching techniques. That's what I was thinking. I love that methodology because that is coaching in in its essence. You, you you separate yourself from from the now, and you look at who do I want to be in the future, or when I am in the future, who do I, what decisions do I want to have made uh, coming there? So I mean. I, I understand how that works, and I um, I wish I would do that more with the people I work with, actually. Yeah. Um, and then it's a shared vision yeah. as well, the, mm-hmm. the key aspect mm-hmm. to it. It's not just your vision. That's right. That's right. I think that's, um, that's one of the mistakes mm. I see a lot of uh, early leaders and managers make is that they, they feel so much pressure to just go write some amazing, glorious vision statement by themselves. Mm. And I think it's, it's just like product design. If we were to go off in our little ivory tower and design something without ever talking to customers, mm. without ever um, working with anyone else, getting critique or feedback – that would just not be a great design, right? The way mm. we, we do design is we go out, we talk with people, we do the research, we collaborate. That's what gets us to a great design. So mm. I think we can apply the same principle to when we're building out a vision for our team and actually do that in a very collaborative fashion, bring research into that process. Of course, in this case, it's more of internal organizational research. Mm. Um, but I think when we do that, that is that is so much more powerful because not only do you just come up with a better um, a better vision, one that's more clear and that more people understand, but it's also one that people feel committed to and bought into, which is super important if you mm. want to be executing on this vision with your team. Mm. Yeah, they've, they've they've invested their thought, time, um, energy into creating it. Mm-hmm. So you would then have something that you can anchor over steps of the process to. Yeah. One of my questions was going to be, so how do you know what competencies you're looking for when you're looking to... Uh, recruit more people into your team but you sort of answer that now because then if you do the vision it's becoming more clear to you what types of people you want to get in your team to to get to that vision i guess yeah exactly i mean at playing grid part of our vision Mm. was actually uh there well there are three pillars to it Um, one is really focusing on bringing customer driven innovation into our company which was something that wasn't really happening before the next was to really make all the workflows in our product very very frictionless And the third is to have really consistent, high-quality craftsmanship throughout the product. Mm. So if you look at each of those pillars of our strategy and our vision, what you'll see is that you need different types of skills to accomplish each of those. So for example, with that first one, the customer-driven innovation, having user research and the ability to tell stories in a really compelling way, it's so critical. Mm. And when I first joined PlanGrid, we actually didn't have a user research function. So it was very, very clear to me when I was going through and looking at our strategy with the team and evaluating the skills that we had on the team, that we were going to need to bring someone in who had that expertise. And then, of course, it was really good because I had done the upfront work with the team of selling everyone at the company on our vision for the design team. And so it was much easier for me to go to my manager and then have a conversation with him about, hey, if you also agree with us that this is where we should go as a team, we're going to need to open up a user research position. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. Oh, wow. So when how did you go about um, um, mapping the skills and, the, and, and finding the gaps? Yeah, so one thing that we've 
created, which I think is really useful, is what we call our job ladders. And so what we've basically done is written out all the capabilities that someone on our team might have. So that would be things that are craft-focused, like visual design or UX design or research, information architecture. And then we also look at things that are more influence-related, like storytelling, business acumen, technical acumen. And what we did is we actually mapped those skills and capabilities to levels of seniority. So for example, if you are a more junior level visual designer, you would potentially just be applying a visual design system. Whereas if you're more senior in that skill, you would be perhaps creating that visual system. So once we had made these job ladders, I was able to go sit down with every person on the team and have a conversation with them about which of these capabilities they were very strong in and which of these were more opportunity areas and places where they could grow. And of course, that's great as a management and coaching Mm. tool because you can then continue to have conversations about, hey, let's say you've got opportunities to grow in your copywriting skills. Okay, well, let's let's send you to a class or get you a, a mentor or someone like that to help mm. you with your copywriting, right? So that's one half of it is it's just great for personal development. Mm. And then on the other side of things, uh, once I went through with everyone on the team and mapped out their skills and where they were, it helped me to see where are the gaps on the team? Where are the gaps? And, uh, and then put together a plan and say, well, first of all, if there's a gap on the team, is that okay? Is it important to have that skill on our team to accomplish our vision? And if so, let's figure out, do we provide more coaching for people on the team? Do we bring in someone um, externally who has a skill onto the team? We can really start to get very uh, very strategic about how we want to build the team over time. Mm. Uh, and also, um, what it will do, you'll be able to uh, recruit better because... If you're seeing, okay, this person is going to develop um, two runs up the ladder in one year or whatever, then you can see how a gap is going to be filled and another maybe gap would appear. So if you bring someone in who is fits into the wrong square, I suppose you could say, then that's not going to work in your team. That's right. And it I, might might work, but it might work in five months, or it might you know might have worked five months ago. So you get a, a much better perspective on how that flow of people can work with your team. Absolutely. This is um, this is something that's actually really near and dear to my heart is making sure that we are creating the space for everyone to grow on the mm. team. So um, one thing that I'm actually really proud of is that there was um, several people on the team <clears throat> who over just the past year and a half I've been working there have really stepped up and continued to grow in their careers. Uh, in fact, one of the designers on my team has grown from being an individual contributor into a design lead role over time. And um, I'm working with each person on the team to figure out where and how do they want to grow in their careers. Mm. So that's been really great because we can also, we can look, as you're saying, two years down the road and say, okay, who and where am I growing people so that over time we're building a team that has uh, a real variety, not just of skill sets, but also uh, seniority and mm. ownership and, and uh, different scopes of work as well. I suppose you, you also have created, well, with the it sounds like it's a very open open way of working with with um, with the skills and and um, career progression but i guess you also end up in a situation where you can um let people know or you can come to agreement together that now is a good time for you to actually leave the nest go somewhere else because you are so valuable you know you've come to this point and you're not going to fit in in our team anymore because we we can't have six people who are are senior you know graphic designers um, but if you've if you've had a, f- um, a feeling of openness and 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 being part of a good team during that period, then maybe that's not that hard a 
it's actually a good thing. It's a positive thing that it's time for someone to move on. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a great point. And um, one of the things that I, I try to do all the time is just have ongoing conversations with people about their careers in general. And mm. I try not to restrict it just to playing grid or just the company that I'm at. But um, I, I actually feel very invested in the careers of everyone I've, I've managed or mm. mentored in the past. Mm. And it doesn't really matter to me, actually, if they stay at my company yeah. or if they go somewhere else. Uh, because at the end of the day, I, you know, I'd love to just have everyone doing something they're passionate about where they're mm. learning and growing. And hopefully we can create a space for that at Playing Grid. But if that's not the case, um, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to work with people mm. on finding opportunities that are going to be the right fit for them to continue to learn and grow. Yeah. It's mm. human. I mean, you don't, I mean, jobs for life, it's one of those, it, it doesn't really exist and it's not always a good thing. Mm. Um, so having that opportunity, I think, is, is, is really healthy. Okay, listening to this now, I mean, this sounds like magic. It sounds mad. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> what you're describing, <laughs> you have this vision, as everything works, and people come and leave, and they progress, and they go and learn new stuff. What are the what are what are you not telling us? What what's what's chal- <laughs> what's challenging? Because I know it's you a- can't predict the future. Think, mm-hmm. think life is life. Things happen. So so. When do things go wrong? And you did say design leadership is hard. You're not yeah. making it sound yeah. hard at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, design leadership is really, really yeah. hard. So um, <laughs> one of the things I've actually learned a lot mm-hmm. from working with the construction industry mm-hmm. is that stuff happens mm-hmm. and it happens all the time and you never mm-hmm. know when it's going to come. And um, I, one of the things that's actually been quite interesting about working in construction is that when things go wrong on a construction site, they go really wrong, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what they do in construction is they actually put a lot of systems and plans in place so that when things do inevitably go wrong, they can resp- uh, respond to it in a really effective way. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things that they do is they try to have really clear uh, contingency plans. So uh, if this, you know, if this is everything's going well, we're going to do this. But if this and this happens, here are some fallback plans for us. They also make sure that they have people on the job site whose full-time job is to walk around and make sure everything's going okay. So I think there's a lot of relevant things for us just working within more of technology and design. Mm-hmm. Um, with the first, with contingency planning, I do this all the time. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was so funny, actually, when I was uh, coming out here for this trip. I actually put together a plan with my team where it was uh, I was basically saying who's going to take care of what, and uh, you know people were volunteering to help out with different things. And at the bottom, I'd actually written out this contingency plan of um, of what if this happened or what that happened. Things like you know what if Wallace is out, we find a candidate we really want to make an offer to, but she's not here and she can't approve it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we were talking through some of the plans there and what might happen. And then um, as I was writing this out, I started noticing. At the bottom of my plan, I've written things like, what if everyone on the team quits? Or what if there's a natural disaster in the office? <laughs> you know, and I'm starting to write this stuff out. And my team's like, it's okay. We, <laughs> we are going to be all right. That's not going to happen. So um, I think I am definitely a contingency planner. Uh, um, typically, it's just in the back of my head. But, um, but sometimes when I write it out, I realize how much I am thinking about the 100 different things we could do in case something goes awry. That's and, fantastic. I think... It'll- that's something we should be spending lots more time on. Absolutely. I'd go to a workshop like that, definitely. I, I mean, I, I, an exercise I do in a, mm. in a workshop mm. is, um, well, mm. when you do this story mapping mm. um, and you've, you've put all the, the, the steps in the, um, in, the, in the journey and you've seen this is all the things that you would do under that step, um, I get people to consider what happens when it goes wrong. 
So mm. like this is because we map up the map out mm. these things according to how we expect them to go forward. Mm. So they're right. they're succeeding at every step along the way. Um, but that isn't how life is. That isn't how it works. <laughs> so so when I'm when I'm teaching about analytics and how you can what you can measure to help influence your or design through um, through analytics, then it's important to know how you measure when things have gone wrong. Yeah, you're because then you come into contingency plans and 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 preparing yourself for those moments where it's not as you designed it originally or not as you planned originally. Not the exactly. Main. And I also think people so people get hurt by your design. Yeah. So you have to figure out how do I solve that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great point and mm. something you mentioned there, which I think is also really important, is taking the time to notice when things are uh, going wrong or about to go wrong. Mm. So, uh, for example, you know, if you're out on a construction site and a storm's rolling in, mm. you need to do something about that. Mm. Let's say you just poured concrete. Well, now you've got to cover up your concrete or something like that, right? Mm. So you always kind of need to have one eye on the horizon yeah. and be prepared in case something needs to happen. So one thing I actually uh, work really hard on at PlanGrid is um, – sensing the prevailing winds. And part of that is me actually uh, meeting with people and listening and learning and seeing what's happening and so we can predict if something is changing within the organization. I don't want to be caught off guard. So I I actually work quite hard to not have to go to my contingency plan, right? Um, And part of that is it can't just be my work, right? I can't have my eyes everywhere all at once. So I actually work with the team. Um, I actually... Uh, I'm always just trying to create a safe space for the team to flag things that are not working for them, problems that they're having. I think it's really important to not bury that stuff, but rather make sure it's it's bubbling up and everyone's aware of it so that, again, you just aren't caught off guard. Mm. Yeah, that's the external part of design leadership, mm-hmm. uh, whereas you've, you've talked a lot about the internal bit, building the team, caring for the team, and then sensing the prevailing winds is, is part of that job out towards the organization, mm-hmm. which is equal is important yeah yeah and part of that too is within the team right and mm. one thing that i think is very important is um, making sure you know how your team's doing morale wise do they feel like they're growing do they feel like they're learning mm. um yeah I, th- I think that's one thing i'm often asking people mm. i just want to make sure we don't you know if someone isn't feeling energized and mm. isn't feeling good about their work that we do something about it versus them feeling like they can't talk about it mm. or like they have to you know kind of just deal with it on their own Mm. So I think it's really important to do both externally and inter- internally. Yeah. So what what are some of the things you you do to like deal with conflicts or deal with people not feeling good? Oh yeah, within my team. Yeah. Um. So uh, one of the things that I actually spend a lot of time thinking and uh, worrying about, perhaps, and trying to optimize for, is making sure every time we are putting people on projects that I'm really thinking about what are the things this person is good at and where do they want to grow. And then also, what is the business need? And I'm kind of always looking for this perfect Venn diagram overlap Mm. of uh, putting people on projects where they can be successful, but that are also going to stretch them Mm. and help them learn something new and grow. And then also, of course, deliver successfully for the business. So I think that's one thing that I found um, is very helpful for getting ahead of people feeling disenfranchised yeah. or, um, or bored mm-hmm. um, is actually just making sure they're constantly in this place of learning and growing and, um, and getting better every day. I think that's, at least for the folks I brought onto my team, uh, that's usually huge energizers for people. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons they come and work mm-hmm. with us so that they can continue learning and growing. So that's something that I'm always looking to do. You, you've talked a lot about um, 
yeah, building visions with the team, kind of working with the team, and kind of you know, the very inclusive way of working with the team. Um, that's all very well and good when you're starting from scratch with your design team, but when you bring in that kind of seventh person um, into an existing vision, an existing team, existing projects, how do you how do you onboard new members? That's a great question. So we actually have a whole onboarding process very mm. clearly detailed out. Um, I actually... That would uh, be a contingency plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What happens when we get someone yeah. new? <laughs> mm. I actually, I wrote a, a blog post about this recently. Um, one of the things that we do when we're bringing people on board is we actually work with them to create what we've called a new hire blueprint. And so what this is, is it's a document that I'll work on with this person where we say for their first... Uh, first three months, what are their expectations? Mm. And they really own that plan, but I will, I'll help them out with building it out. And usually what we try and put in there is um, really taking that first month to just dive in and really understand plan grid. Mm. And so we actually have a, an onboarding training that I think is fantastic. It's a one week program. Everyone in the company goes through it. And um, that's where people really dive in and learn about the customers and the product. And uh, the design team actually teaches the training, which gets everyone on board with understanding what design is at plan grid. Um, but in addition to that with my designers, what I'll have them do is actually go out and talk with customers. So we'll, um, We'll actually have them go out to a job site, sit in on user research sessions, get on the phone, sit with customer support, and really try to understand our customers. Because again, a lot of the people working at Plan Grid don't have a construction background, and it's it's a very complicated field. So getting them out there and building that customer empathy is really, really critical. Mm. And the other thing that I'll do is I'll have them do a heuristic evaluation. So just go through and um, put together their point of view on what's working well, what's not working well with Plan Grid. That's really helpful for us because we hmm. like having fresh eyes on the product yeah. and seeing what are we missing. And then it's also great for them because six months in, when they no longer have fresh eyes, they can look back at their original mm. notes and see, oh, how has my perception changed over time? I really like that idea. Yeah. They come in and do your kind of, yeah, your own critique of the mm. thing you're going to be working with, um, but not, because I think one, that, one, one challenge um, as being someone that's maybe already part of a project, um, is that 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 being defensive when someone when someone says, I mean, well, why why the hell have you done that? Why have you put that thing there? Or mm. and and you've got like you know three years of of knowledge of of the maybe even political journey of why that's been like it is not necessarily a kind of user based um, um, decision, and you you kind of fall into that defense. I mean. Oh, well, it has to be like that because of... Blah, 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 blah. So, so maybe that technique that you're describing is a, is a way of surfacing those kind of stories. Yeah, yeah. I think one thing I'll just point out with that is when, this, when each person's filling out the heuristic evaluation, we make sure we do not frame this as you're a consultant coming in and providing recommendations to the team about what they should do. Um, the idea is really, it's very informal. It's just for that person to kind of capture their thoughts and share it out, typically just with the design team or if they want to, um, after they've met their engineering partners, they can share it with mm -hmm. them as well. But we really don't want to position mm -hmm. that just as someone coming in and poo-pooing everyone else's design, right? It's more about um, us getting a fresh perspective. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I really encourage people to do is to spend that first month really getting to know people. I think relationships are important no matter where you work. They're also very just important at our uh, company. It's a very um, very collaborative culture. So quickly building that relationship is very critical. So I'll encourage people to just 
take people on their team out for coffee, get lunch with them, and otherwise just build that interpersonal relationship, which is going to set them up for success later. I think you've just described the blueprint for what successful design leadership is in like 20 minutes. I'm My mind is kind of blown. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I've still got more questions. Because um, now I'm, I'm kind of working backwards through, through this process a little bit now. Because um, you, you talked about the, the hiring process a bit, and there was... Uh, I remember it. You're in, how you interview people. I, I remember thinking that was interesting because you see if I've got this right now. You you interview candidates twice with like more like formal interviews. Mm-hmm. Then there was like a, a third thing, which was on site. Didn't did you bring in candidates that had made it through the first yes. two stages to yeah. be part of the organization for a half day or something? Uh, not not or? quite that, but typically what we'll do is we have, um, first I'll try and talk with candidate. I'll do a phone screen yeah. um, or perhaps grab coffee with them in their, if they're in the area and just get to know them. I always like to hear a little bit about how did people get into the world of design. I think that mm. reveals a lot about them and what their passion is. And then I'll also talk with people just about where do they want to go in their career? Mm. Because I would hate to bring someone onto the team and for us not to be able to support their growth. So I really try to focus on them and, and what are their goals and look if there would potentially be a match there. Mm. And then if that goes well, then we'll have them do a smaller portfolio screen with um, just one or two members of the team, kind of a walk through a project, explain a little bit about your process, how you make decisions, so on and so forth. And if that goes well, then we'll have them on for a half-day on-site interview. And what we've done with our interview is, um, as I was mentioning before, we're very thoughtful about what types of skills and capabilities we are looking for for each position that we open. So we really carefully tailor that day to evaluate for those skills. Mm -hmm. And that could be through a mix of having this person present their portfolio, um, having them do some one-on-one or or two-on-one interviews where we're asking very specific questions around a certain type of capability. Um, And it also could include more of a hands-on design exercise where they're actually going forward and tackling a problem collaboratively with a couple people on the design team. Are there any questions that stump you? <laughs> That's been trying. Throw a couple more at me. <laughs> well, I suppose one. Word, it's like when when are you going to be my manager? <laughs> Just got to move yeah. out to San Francisco, my oh, friend. Right, so there we go. <laughs> Even on an answer for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this with us, Alyssa. Thank you, guys. Design leadership is hard. Um, Alyssa said at the end of her talk and we said at the start of the of, of the interview but she really really didn't make it sound very hard no you're right she made it sound like uh, it's something you, you just go into it and this is how you do it so check check this list and, and uh, you're off but at the same time I mean if you listen between the lines you realize that she has come to all these conclusions uh, because it is hard but she's been working on them for a while I mean the ease with which she answers all these questions tells us something about how much thought she's put into all these different aspects of design leadership. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I must confess, I was trying really quite hard to, to, to trip her up with some of the questions I posed her. I mean, I was thinking, okay, you know, this question, she can't possibly have found a way of dealing <laughs> with this organizational yeah. you know, mess. Um, and every single time I posed a question to her, she had a really good answer and it, yeah. it wasn't like she was just repeating um verbatim the 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 talk she'd done um the previous mm. day um a lot of the stuff we covered wasn't from her talk 
I think also when I'm, I'm thinking about this as actually looking at design leadership through the lens of UX, you're, you're actually using the UX process to think about how you would design uh, a team or, or actually manage a team. Uh, and you're thinking about your uh, employees or your coworkers as people and not as resources. You're thinking about them as people who develop over time and people who have goals and those goals may or may not fit with the future organization. Uh, so w if you're recruiting f uh, for new positions, you may start by thinking, is there anyone on my team who would, could actually develop and advance into that position or are they moving out because they have other goals? Uh, and you're open to all of those options. Uh, and I really love how she approached that. It's just people are people and you just have to make them feel at home. Yeah. Here. Uh, uh, at, the same, at the same time, though, you, the design team doesn't work in isolation it's all very well and good having um you know uh, vision statements and um you know onboarding plans and um job ladders and all these wonderful things in your design team it, mm. that doesn't work if you've got a dysfunctional organization surrounding you so that's very so true in, in um yeah. in plan grid's case it seems like not only has Alyssa formed a really good design team and has multiple processes um in place to make sure that design team develops and survives her organization um is is with them but she, yeah. she mentioned at the beginning of the interview um that because they've already they've already formulated a vision and they've communicated the vision and spread it um around the organization um that the organization has, has bought into it so they're in a they're in a shared world shared environment so it's easier to get buy-in for uh, resources or or designs maybe even right and they've obviously placed a lot of trust in the way the design team works. I mean, it's, it's like she's we're talking about the UX aspect of this again, that uh, Alyssa is actually, she's kind of mapped out all the flows, hasn't she? She's, she's yeah. like the journey maps. Exactly, she's done journey maps for <laughs> well, yeah. in the team, the the individuals, you know, the career maps. Um, mm. She meant, we talk about con contingency plans, which you couldn't say properly, and I nearly didn't say then. Um, <laughs> uh, amongst, amongst others being the, like the new higher blueprint. Um, yeah. That, and she's, she's worked out, what do you need? What's the journey you need to take in your first month, mm. three months? Um, as part of the design team, these are the touch points. Yeah. These are important milestones. This is, this is what we need to happen. Then this is what mm. we do. If you don't do that, now, I really love the idea of the conting contingency. <laughs> now I can't say oh, it again. You're getting applauded. Oh now. my god, contingency plans. <laughs> uh, I I'm going to call it risk assessment now. <laughs> it's not risk assessment because that's how I it's see it. Assessment. Because she's thinking about all these things that could potentially go wrong, and she jokes about it. But it is hugely important to actually consider what could go wrong, who could get hurt, what could be considered harmful. And if you've thought about that beforehand, you're so much better equipped to handle all the different types of oncoming situations. They might not happen the way you imagined them, but at least you've imagined something. Uh, so she's, she's way ahead of everyone else when she's thinking like that. Yeah, so not just thinking about those aspects when you're designing a product or a mm. website, but mm. thinking about it during your well, the, the the development of your working team. And she's joking about natural disasters, but <laughs> obviously natural disasters happen, mm. uh, and more and more and more often it seems. Well, as well. when you're working with construction, I suppose um, there is well, it is more it's more believable, or it's it's more likely to happen that there, there will be yeah. an, an, an industrial incident. Um, 
things do go wrong. I mean, there's this huge amount of health and safety aspects of, of building. Um, and mm. that's one of the big cells in the sector nowadays is mm. making sure you are safe and working safe and creating a safe environment for the, for the, the constructors. Um, yeah. But um, so that, that does force you into a culture of, of understanding what you need mm. to do if things go wrong and recognizing and understanding when it's gone right as well. That's important too. Exactly. So it's it's a risk assessment, but it's also uh, I'm I'm uh, now relating also to inclusive design because she's, th she's thinking about how the different uh, uh, people who are working there actually what different competencies they have, but also what how what different futures they have. How she's approaching uh, what they want uh, on a personal level as well as on a professional mm -hmm. level. Uh, it's just fantastic the way that design team seems to work and it's, it really seems to be actually a blueprint for, for how many de design teams should yeah. work. I think if um, you've, you've, you've all got to click in the show notes to the presentation because in the presentation there's at least one of her, um, one slide is um, the, the grid, the job, well job the skills grid um, for the, I think oh, it's yeah. the craft yeah. skills that is in the presentation. Mm. Uh, I think any of you working with um, building a design team needs to look at that and, th and, and work out your own. It's absolutely fantastic way of just mapping out yeah. who do we have, what skills do we need, what levels do we have, and do we and, and do we uh, not have? Um, so that ability of being able to recruit for the future. So mm. you know, you know that you're you're going to have a gap in three months. So you start planning to hire for it now or see who in your team is going to develop in that time into that role. Um, I, I, I've never been part of a team which has that kind of, um, you know, self-understanding. Um, uh, yeah, you obviously want to work in her team. I, I do. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd jump at the chance. I just need to get the family yeah. to agree to go to San Francisco. So what you, dear listener, want to do now is actually visit uxpodcast.com because that's where you will find the show notes. Uh, the links, uh, the presentation that James just mentioned, uh, the link to the blog post that uh, Alyssa mentioned as well. Uh, and uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, then uh, let a colleague or a friend know and encourage them to listen too. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Who's there? Et. Et who? Et who, Brute. Then fall, Caesar. <laughs>